Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. It's a Thursday edition. Um, uh, and, uh, I, well, where where to start? Well, um, at the weekend, we did our um, special edition to do uh, with Remembrance Sunday, to mark Remembrance Sunday. And we've had an extraordinary outpouring of, well, a response from, from uh, lots of you listeners, from regular listeners and from people all over the world. It's and, been lovely, um, hasn't it? Been really, it, really nice. It has been really touching. And my mum got in touch to say thank you for what you said about Granny and uh, uh, and all that sort of thing. You know. Yeah. Um, which, uh, anyway, um, it's been a lovely response. And I think um, what 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 was really good about Sunday and what's been good about the response to this is you know we do get caught up in some of the adventure and the. And the thrill of the gigantic historical spectacle of the Second World War, but to actually give it, give it, give it some thought, give some thought towards remembrance, I think is really important. And also that we've um, heroically steered clear of the so-called poppy debate. I think um, is to our credit, James. Um, but anyway, we 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 have a we have um, we have an email. We received an email um, that really. Um, that's quite quite extraordinary. So I'd like to start with that. Um, it's from John Witter. Now, John says, hi there. I'm emailing you partly because I'm technologically old fashioned. And also I want to hear Al have yet another go at an email user. Um, uh, I am a relatively recent but very keen listener to your podcast and have been enjoying it immensely. Well, thank you. I live on an island in the middle of the South Pacific (laughs) called Rarotonga in the Cook Islands. We are between American Samoa and Tahiti. Right. How about that? How about that? I mean, this podcast getting all the way... Uh, around the world like that. Yesterday, I listened to your chat with Glenn Prusser, formerly of the Commonwealth Wargraves Commission. Our family owes much to the CWGC. At the outbreak of World War I, the Cook Islands, only recently annexed by New Zealand, saw 500 men enlist to go to war. This was from a very small population, and as a percentage of that population, this enlistment was apparently amongst one of the highest in the world. To give you some perspective, our population is now only about 14,000. Amongst those men was my grandfather and one of his younger brothers, who we believe, like many, lied about his age. 
They went to basic training in New Zealand, then embarked on a journey that took them to Palestine, Egypt and France. Because Cook Islanders had only been in contact with outsiders for a bit over a century, our immunity to common illnesses was still weak and many soldiers did not even survive basic training and the trip to war. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite extraordinary. And a thing you just don't... You don't think of, no. Several are buried in Auckland, having succumbed to common illnesses. So, why do we owe so much to the CWGC? My grandfather's brother never came home, being killed in the Somme in 1916. In the same barrage that killed him, my grandfather was seriously wounded. He was fortunate to survive his injuries. My grandfather returned and carried the literal and emotional scars of war and losing his brother until he died in his late 90s. Like the Maori in New Zealand, having a body to farewell is very important to us. My great-grandparents never got that, and as a father myself, I cannot even begin to imagine how that must have hurt. Fast forward to the 1990s, when my brother moved to the UK to complete his medical training. Through the CWGC and the incredible job they do, he found our great-uncle's grave. As a result, some of us have been able to visit and pay our respects to him and those who lie with him. When we visited him for the first time in 1991, we left a bronze plaque in front of his headstone. This plaque was one that was sent to families who had lost loved ones. When my brother took our mother a few years later, the plaque, sadly, had disappeared. Hoping for the best, my brother contacted the CWGC and asked if they knew anything about it. Their amazing reply came back to say that yes, indeed, they knew about the plaque. Because of where we had placed it, they were concerned that regular garden maintenance might damage it, so they had carefully buried it at the foot of the headstone. Someone had checked to see if it was still there, and it was. Given the circumstances, would we like it returned? Yes, please, was our reply. The plaque was promptly sent back to us. It was winter when we visited my great-uncle's grave, and it was difficult to see his grave in such a cold place compared to our tropical home. However, the care with which the cemetery is attended is beyond words, and we take great comfort from knowing his final resting place is so painstakingly maintained and respected. If possible... Please convey our thanks to Glyn and those at the CWGC. Lest we forget, Private Apu Tepureto, service number 16 1222, died the 30th of September 1916, buried at Quarry Cemetery, Montauban, plot number 2H3. Thanks again, and looking forward to more great podcasts. Regards, John Witter. Wow. I mean, what, hairs are up on the back of my neck. I don't know about you, James. Uh, yeah, I no, mean, absolutely, absolutely. And it's and it's 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 yet again. It's that you know millions of statistic. You know, yeah. but an individual is an individual, isn't it? It's it's yeah. it's bringing it back down. It's it's the tiny piece of the mosaic, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. It's it. It's funny, isn't it? Because this whole podcast, ever since we started it, it's just got me thinking in different ways. You know. I know yep. we're the ones who are supposed to know what we're talking about, but it's it's <laughs> it's lovely to have this input and and have one's eyes opened to stories, different experiences, different points of view, different perspectives, a whole host of yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. I've 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 learned so much myself from just from from chatting to everyone and and reading the mail that comes in. So my my I suppose my response to that is, you know, please keep it coming, everyone who's who feels inclined to do so. And you know, all the emails that do get sent in, they do all get read, um, and they yeah. get read by all of us, and and they get collected, and we we go through them all, and um, 
you know they are hugely appreciated i'm unfortunately because you and i whittle on so much and and kind of um go down lots of cul-de-sacs and all the rest we of it we don't we don't cover it all, all all the time we don't no. cover it all but it's lovely having it it really is I mean, what, and, and what it's I'm lovely s- having photographs and all sorts of other stuff that comes in and and tiny plastic models i mean what <laughs> what strikes me about that though uh, that that in particular is and it's a thing it's a thing you know we do we do talk about but i don't know that sometimes is appreciated enough and sometimes this gets brought up in a kind of um you know in, in our current polit- c- climate of uh and I, i'm loath to use the word political correctness but in, in the way people are ch- choosing to look at stuff right yeah. and and we have to remember to frame the first world war and the second world war as imperial conflicts we really really do and imperial is a imperial is a dirty word and all that sort of thing but what i'm really struck by there is i didn't you know that the cook islands were annexed by New Zealand. So they're a colony of a colony. So what we're yeah. really looking so what we're really looking at here is absolute um far arms length from Britain and here they are fighting for that here they are in France fighting for that cause which is after all a European security squabble um uh, 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 war anyway at that point. Yep. Well that's the the initial casus belli. Uh, it it and to think that someone from the Cook Islands and the, and who was so late introduced into into European history, you know, uh, mm. they're not they're not part of the European story, and yet they are. And yet these guys come; they volunteer, they lie about their age to come and fight in France. It's the most extraordinary thing. And I think, you know, not not in a oh we mustn't forget that the people from all over the world fought for us way, but gee jeepers, people from all over the world fought for the British Empire yeah. willingly. Yes. You know, I mean, maybe he lied about his age because he fancied the pay as much as anything else, but for an adventure and all that sort of thing. And it's just, it's, it, it, you, you just have to remember that. And, and, that, and we talked about it with Glyn that, you know, that, that in these graveyards you have the picture of the, of the British Empire, which again means you have to reframe this, we did this on our own thing. You have to. Yeah, you, have you absolutely to, do. In fact, we can't reframe it. Even you have to ditch mm. it. You have to completely ditch it, um, because because that's certainly not how people at the time viewed it. They viewed no. both wars at the time as an imperial effort. It's only the end of the. It's only the end of the Second World War where it collapses back back into a national effort. And and after all, for political reasons, because you've got an election, you've got parties yeah. trying to find their way through it, and you've also got how you present it to the Americans because there's crushing debt coming at the end of the Second World War. But I, but you know what I mean. But but, 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 but that's absolutely. But but that is. You know, but that is why the narrative, this negative narrative has sprung up in the last, you know, 40 years since the 60s, really, um, particularly about sort of Britain's effort in the Second World War, because those who are writing it are writing it from the perspective of Britain then, you know, decline as a great power, the collapse of the empire, uh, um, post-empire guilt, three-day weeks of the 1970s, you know, all those sort of things are coming to play in that narrative and that's why you yeah. get this kind of negative thing and you know but and also from americans because americans are looking at tiny little britain they're thinking really you know this yeah. this this was a this is the old enemy in bunk hill and lexington but b you know this kind of sort of broken down old country you know that yeah. shed its imperial skin you know the idea that this was once a great kind of you know preeminent nation of the planet it, it just seems ridiculous yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So yeah. that is affecting it, and, and it's almost like we've sort of we, we, we've gone past that now. So we can now we've we've sort of got over that, and, and now we can look back a bit more 
more kind well, of that's exactly ob- that was, that's a, that's exactly what I was going to say is that perhaps we're in a position where where we we we've we've gone through those things enough to the point where actually we can go well hang on a minute let, let's look at this let's look at this without those sets of baggage um uh, and, and you know obviously there are this current baggage which is people I mean, in a way, reassessing empire as much as anything else, rather than simply forgetting about it, which is the which was the, you know, very much the political tack, because yeah. you were focusing on nation politically for the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, you yeah. know that you, you you were you were trying to move move empire out of the picture. That we have to admit, yeah. you know, big part of the, you know all this um, uh, reassessment of uh, our relationship with slavery. I think it's all part of this reassessment as well but i just i'm just i'm just so struck by that i mean struck by the fact that someone in the cook islands is listening to us for a start <laughs> um uh you know uh, uh trace element of of empire there but also that the cook islands i'd have you know of course they were annexed by new zealand which was annexed by the by great britain yeah yeah exactly it's just it's just this sort of this extended family you know um for want of a um, probably for want of a better word because after all you know, some of the family were press ganged into being uh, relations, but 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 I just think it's so it's so interesting, it's and that remembrance and that and that aspect of remembrance, of course, that you know, uh, as Glenn was telling us, people were keen that that no one no one was repatriated, so everyone was even even before the empire, and now the you know that if it, your culture doesn't believe in that and needs the body. What are you meant? What are you going to do? You know. Well, it's, yes, um, but I mean, Glyn was touching that on, on Sunday, wasn't yeah, it? It was interesting yeah. also today because you know we're recording this on on the eleventh of the eleventh, and and yes. I happened to be in London this morning, and uh, at eleven o'clock I was twiddling my thumbs, waiting for Rachel to finish her appointment, and um, so I thought, okay, well, I wandered down to Green Park and go to the Bournemouth Command Memorial. It's as good a place to be yeah. as any, since you know I'm around at eleven o'clock and I can sort of pause and and you know, yeah, contemplate life for two minutes at eleven o'clock. And um, it's interesting when you look at you know it's got that amazing um, statue of the of the of the bomber crew, but but yeah. on the inside of the kind of the the, the sort of the, the build the structure around it, it says you know to commemorate the men of all nations. So again, you know, and this this was only when was that twenty twelve? Yeah. I think that was yeah yeah it was 2012, that was yeah. that was inaugurated. Um, and it was rather lovely to be there, actually, uh, to gaze up at those those wonderful statues and those young men sort of staring up at the sky and sort of clutching their their helmets by their sides and, you know, with their May Wests on and, and all the rest of it. And, and, and actually, I, I, I wondered whether anyone would be there, whether it would just be me. But there must have been kind of 25, 30 people, I guess. There were a few mm. servicemen. There were a couple of yeah. policemen. There were some, some girls there. There were various people and a, a sombre little bunch we made. Um, sat yeah. in, you know, standing there trying to sort of contemplate, or at least I was trying to contemplate what those guys had gone through, and just realised how inadequate my mind was for, 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 yes. for dealing with that, you know, and how, you know, and I've spoken to, obviously to lots of bomber command um, veterans and lots of um, eight farm, eight air force veterans and bomber crews and all the rest of it, and German bomber crews for that matter as well. Y- you know, and you 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 can only sort of scratch the surface, I think, of really of what of what what that was all about, but. Um, Always well, and, to sit and just ponder about these things. Well, yes, yeah, in so, silence. Yeah, I watched the I watched the um, unknown soldier service, unknown warrior service at um, Westminster Abbey. You know, the the the, the B brand, the coverage on, and 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 although it's more it's more geared, you know, more geared to the First World War, 
um, that. And I think it's quite interesting that the First World War has become so sort of emblematic in um, mm. in remembrance rather than the Second World War, because after all, the sort of traditional um, uh, 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 certainly the thing I grew up with is that the Second World War is the just war against bad guys. The First World War is entirely pointless. And yet the First World War has become the thing on which, uh, you know, all the iconography is Flanders iconography. And I know the poppies yes. from Flanders Field, but you know what I mean? It's mm. like it's the tilt that Tommy, um, you know, with his uh, head at rest over his rifle that, that uh, that's a First World War image. And it, that's very it's interesting that that in a way has become the, the sort of iconography of remembrance when when. You know, I always thought that we thought the First World War was terrible and pointless. The Second World War was the one that was where we did the right thing. Yeah, it is. So maybe, so maybe remembrance is about you know the the, the people who died for something died died over something pointless, and then it gets more. Com- you know, just get it. Yeah. All these yeah, things yeah, yeah. are they're far more complicated than simply why aren't you wearing a puppy? They're just so much more complicated than that, and they're inevitably political. And they're, you know, I mean, after all, and the thing, again, we talked, I was thinking more about what we talked with Glenn about, about remembrance as, as a form of protest. And I think that, you know, I think that's entirely true. And when people talk about the red poppy glorifying war, I, 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 I simply don't know what they're trying, what they're saying. I, they're, they're saying, don't do this again. People wearing red poppies are saying, hey, politicians, watch, watch, watch your step. You can't get away with this, I think. You know, yeah. and it uh, that these well, things. Well, it are... goes back to that 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 conversation with Eisenhower and and Walter Cronkite, yeah. Um, yeah. in in 1964, where he's saying, you know, well, yeah. what I really think when I look at this is to make sure that we never allow this to happen again. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah. I also think I think it's uh, you know all these all these sort of conflicting emotions. I think that's absolutely fine. I, I, I yes, think the past is complicated, and yes. our, our our present day relationship with the past is complicated, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. You know, I remember talking to Justin Macheski, you know, who's the um, who's uh, the director of the National Army Museum, and he said it's perfectly okay for us to be proud of our heritage, but also appalled by our heritage. Yeah. You know, you're you're allowed to have contradictory emotions about this stuff. Yeah. Y- y- you know, you you can feel completely conflicted about bomber command. You you can be completely in awe of the of the bombing crew, but still be repulsed by what happened at Fort Sign. You know, it's, it's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, no. And and it, it's this kind of constant wish to kind of make everything binary and make it black yeah. or white and it isn't life yeah. isn't you know it, no. it's shades of, of all sorts of different colors and and actually one's understanding of the past and study of the past is infinitely more interesting when when it's more complex when it when it is a kind of sort of cut and dry you know what's to debate and, yeah. and one of the interesting things about our analysis of the past is discussing it and debating it and you going no monty was a tactical genius at alamein and me going come on mate what about his fire plan i mean you know that's but that's what makes it fun you know yeah, that's yeah. what's interesting and i don't think there's well that's what's that. il- and i don't think people should what, be ashamed of it either but that's what's illuminating about it as well is yes. that is that you know because after all um you know, if you're if 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 what you're going to the past for is is parallels and things to learn from and lessons lessons of history, you know, to, 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 with cap with a capital L and a capital H, if that's what you're looking looking history for, I mean, you know, if you're if you're comparing and people are do it an awful lot at the moment, you know, they compare Trump to the 1930s, they compare what's happening all over. Yes. The, you know, the 1930s is a default stop for people to compare events to. And I, I actually think if you're comparing things to the 1930s, the place you should start is how they're different. The place you should start is the differences, not the similarities, yes. because after all, this is a different, <laughs> this is a different era. You know, no, mm. no, you know, and 
one of the seductions of, and I think it's an interesting thing about the 20th century is because so much of it is on film, one of the seductions of the 20th century is you can watch it and you can look at it and it's so, because it's in your eyes, it's so much more relatable than than uh, paintings of Roman Romans at the at baths or whatever, yes. which is all we've, which is all you've got of Rome, yeah. really. I mean, God knows how your brother... Or gladiator, exactly, well, well, exactly. But that's, but you know, th- there's footage of yes. this this cent- the last century allows people to look at. You know, if you see tanks rolling now, you go, oh, it's like the tanks in the thirties. Was in fact, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's different. The, the, the similarities of the the different differences are the things that are important. And after all, the the fact that hopefully we've learned from those events some things, and there's some, you know, obviously to some warnings and all that sort of thing. And I just sort of, I. It, if you don't, if you if you try and boil it, like you say, if you try and reduce it to a binary, you won't learn a th- you won't learn a thing from it. No, you won't. You absolutely won't. And I think the thing is, is that everyone sort of goes, you know, uh, history repeating itself and all this kind of stuff. You know, history doesn't repeat itself. Patterns of human behaviour do, because because fundamentally, you know, I know the past is a foreign country and all the rest of it, um, as L. P. Hartley said. But 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 but, you know, even the Romans felt. Emotions of fear, jealousy, love, hate, all those kind of things, you know, and those things haven't gone away. Um, and, and so patterns of human behaviour do do kind of follow. And you can see, you know, when there's economic crisis, there's, you know, political disruption follows, you know, and, and there are those lessons to lessons to be learned. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, of course, for, for studying the past. But it's also to understand why we are the nation we are today. You know, everything that's happened before, obviously, is part of that great big mixture, that great big mosaic, since we're on the mosaic kind of analogy. Uh, and, and that's what, what helps us where we get to today you know i mean it's 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 also it's very interesting getting these kind of different perspectives i mean i mean you know obviously i'm doing i'm doing all this stuff on the show at rangers at the moment and i was re-going through an interview that i did with john semkin who was um a squadron commander for much of uh normandy and and through to november 1944 and he was going you know we realized that you know these infantry guys were coming in and their their training was just awful you know they it was just absolutely rubbish you know you had these 18 19 year olds coming in they just haven't got a clue what they were doing you know and that, that's just not true i mean you know they were quite well trained it's just how can you train to come up against kind of you know the second ss panzer division well or, I mean, or, I mean, well or against or against anyone shooting shooting because after, after all one, one of the things we've talked about very, about very very recently is how many people are actually the trained to this mythical panzer ss standard anyway on 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 the other side of the hill and you, you, you know how many how many of these crack germans are even out there but someone firing at you with a machine gun and it doesn't have to be an mg42 it could but, be absolutely anything is is enough to put the collies in the in the most well-trained people but, imaginable but the reason why john was saying that was because of his utter uh, horror at the slaughter of these young men yeah, who were being yeah. you know for him yeah. that was lions being led by donkeys you know that yeah, was yeah, yeah. you know you know that was that was just the sort of you know the meat mincer uh, and yeah. and he and he never got over it you know it was absolutely yeah. clear talking to him that that he was psychologically scarred in a in a profound and deep and terrible way ever since 1944 and and yeah. who can blame him but that but yeah. but it didn't mean that I mean, that was his opinion, and, th- and this is my point. You know, it's fine to have different views on this stuff, and he was there, yeah. goddammit, but we, you yeah, and yeah. I know that actually they was <laughs> well-trained as a conscript could possibly be, really, in the big yeah. scheme of things. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously well, smaller also, things he- you could do better, but... 
and his experience, of course, would 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 be worth all far more than all the training they'd ever had, too. Of course, and, is... and you know, and, and, and you know, that is why the Italians at the end of the Tunisia campaign, for example, are not at all bad. It's because yeah. there's a cadre of them that have been there since 1940, and they've learned the hard way. They've figured it out, yeah. They've figured it out, you know, themselves through experience. But if you're coming to joining the, the Italian army in 1943 from Italy, you're going to be shit because the training would have been awful. Anyway, what I must just say to say today is that um, it is actually publication day of an Englishman at war, the paperback version. All right, James, uh, we've got to take a short break. Tell me all about it in a minute. I can't believe he's got another book out. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. So t- tell me all about An Englishman at War, James. Yeah, OK, so it's a bit of a cheat, <laughs> Al, to be honest, because it, this is a book that came out, I think, probably, you know, six to eight years ago in hardback. And for all sorts of very good reasons, it just hasn't come out in paperback, but now it has. And this is the wartime diaries of Stanley Christopherson. And, and I know ah. I do, I, you know, a bit like, you know... I do bang on about the Sherwood Range a little bit, and you know, well, it's I, like I, me, risk, and, I, me and me and the Airborne at Arnhem. I mean, you know. a, a bit, yeah, probably a bit worse than that, to be honest, for me. But, um, <laughs> but and I apologise, everyone, bear with me. But but um, this was this came about because back in way back in two thousand and four, I went to Normandy for the first time, and a, and a mate of mine who lives up in Yorkshire 
gathered together a group of people and they they're all really into their the historic vehicles and stuff and classic cars and things uh, and we all went over and i went over in my citroen they all went over in kind of command cars and jeeps and what have you and anyway, one of the party that was there um was a chap called david christopherson and we were standing on gold beach and we were looking at this bunker uh, that had a great big sort of chunk out of it near the embouchure uh, and and David was going, well, the interesting thing is, you know, my dad came ashore here um, um, with a squadron of the Sherwood Rangers. Uh, 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 you know, and I was sort of going, you know, shut the front door. Uh, and um, he said, yeah, and he said, amazing thing about this bunker is is that um, he's, he said, said it was the Essex Yeomanry who were the artillery support for the Sherwood Rangers. He said, said they were having a terrible time on a beach. And then this guy from the Essex Yeomanry knocked out this bunker. Um, and that's what enabled them to get off the beach and get inland. And, you know, they were at the edge of Bayer by the end of by the end of day one on D-Day. And this little voice went, that was me. <laughs> and it was this, really it was the guy who'd, from the Essex Yeomanry had fired the killer blow. Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we had this amazing time and we were and and, um, and I got to know David um, Christopherson really really well we we really got on incredibly well became came firm friends and anyway during that trip he kind of said yeah you know my dad was here and he ended up commanding the squadron basically through to the end of the war and i was you know as you can imagine was all agog at this he said and he kept all these diaries and, and he said i brought some of them with me and we were staying at a place called Odru, which is just kind of a bit to the north of tilly sersul between tilly sersul and bayer and we're saying there, and he goes i think my dad was 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 pretty close to here around kind of you know 7th 8th of june a place called point 103 so anyway we kind of looked on the map and stuff and, and realized that it was literally a mile away from where we were staying just by complete chance so david and i cut away from the west of the rest of the group and went up there and we found this tree line track and it was absolutely one and the same that was being described in the in the diary and it was an amazing, uh, amazing thing. And then we went down into Saint Pierre, which is a little hamlet on the edge of Tilly, um, down the sort of the the, the hill below. Uh, and that was where, on the um, the eleventh Sunday, the eleventh of June, um, the regimental headquarters of the Sherwood Rangers got a direct hit from a from a shot from the Panzerlaire. And the CO and the intelligence officer and the and the um, adjutant were all killed. And at that point, Stanley then became acting CO, and on the fifteenth of June became confirmed commanding officer of the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry, a position he kept up until the end of the war. Anyway, you know, this so began my kind of interest in the Sherwood Rangers and particularly in Stanley. And I was doing a book on 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 the, the war in North Africa at the time. So um, I got the diaries and I included Stanley and the Sherwood Rangers and then found there was this link with Keith Douglas and all the rest of it. So I started writing about them quite a lot. Um, and suddenly the opportunity came to kind of edit all these diaries down. You know, they're really, really good. There's some sort of 300,000 words of them. And what's really interesting about the Sherwood Rangers is, you know, like those sort of classic interwar yeomanry regiments, they're still on horseback. They're still, they're, their main job is to protect the homeland and do sort of, you know, shire, you know, county militia stuff. And, and, and there's a picture of them at, at summer camp in August 1939 on the estate of the Earl of Yarborough. Uh, and and there they all are on their horses with their Sam Browns and their riding boots. And they look like, you know, they've just sort of stepped out of Omdurman. I mean, they, they just don't look ready for the Second World War at all. And frankly, nor were they. And they were they were all packed off to Palestine, um, where they did one of the kind of last sabres raised charges against Arab insurrectionists. Um, then there was a horse stampede, which was a great humiliation to them. So they had their horses, they were deemed, you know, they were taken, had their horses taken away from them. And then massively in for dig, they were 
they were converted into artillery because, of course, there weren't any tanks. They hadn't got enough tanks. Um, and so they part of them were on the sea, were in Crete. A part of a couple of, um, of the squadrons or, or then became batteries were sent to the siege of Tobruk, including Stanley. And only in, uh, I think, end of 1941, early 1942, were they were they mechanised. And their first action was the Battle of Alam Halfa, and then Alamein, and then all the way through North Africa into Tunisia, D-Day, and all the way through to the end of the war. But But what is really interesting about that regiment is, in a way... They can be seen as a sort of light motif for the British Army in the Second World War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah, of yeah, starting yeah. off a little bit behind the bar, behind the nine ball, but actually by the end of it, not at all bad. And you know, showing it's fascinating. that you, showing that that's that that was. I mean, that's what's sort of also that's uh, emblematic of the Second World War itself is that you do you 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 enter it at the end of the the you could you could argue you enter the Second World War kind of in the hangover of of the Edwardian settlement that. Or George first George the Fifth settlement, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're in the modern world in 1945. Your jet, your jet planes and penicillin in 1945. You, yes. It's a six. Yes. It's a six year catalyst, catalytic con, uh, moment that, that change changes everything. You know, and changes yeah. politics forever, changes technology forever. And you, you know, you're 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 you've got the hangovers of the Victorian world in 1939, which is you know guys in cavalry doing saber charges. And by 1945, you've jet interceptors, ballistic missiles, yes. and, a, and a society that reflects those changes too. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I've, it's I've, fascinating. I've, and the other thing is, you know, you know they, they're, they're all sort of squires and county types. And, you know, the, the, the ace, um, the kind of pa- the, the, the tank ace is Sergeant Dring, who's a jockey and a master huntsman before the war, but is, you know, very much kind of sort of, you know, he's working class, he's small. Um, he can read the land just like any, you know, better than anyone, you know. Uh, and you've got all these sort of eccentrics and characters and stuff. Um, you've got Donnie Player, who's a kind of sort of team hero, who's from Player's Cigarettes, you know. So he's got he's absolutely minted. Um, he gets killed in Tunisia. But but you know when they go over to Palestine, you know they're on the they're on the boat train, you know, to Marseille uh, and sort of drinking champagne all the way and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and when they get to Palestine, there's lots of cricket matches and and you know and and trips into Jerusalem and trips into here and then you know later on you know when they go to Katadba and Karkur, they're kind of you know in the canal zone. They're they're kind of you know trips to Cairo and it's all very jolly and they know everybody. You know to war with Whitaker, you know Lord Ramfley, you know. He, he's a show ranger until he gets captured uh, and um what you see though and and very clearly from stanley's diaries is this transition from kind of sort of it's all a bit of a lark sort of boy scouts with guns and horses uh, and to suddenly it's all getting a bit serious uh, and there's this moment just after the capture of, of tripoli where in his diaries he started to talk about all arms training and training in in cahoots with the with the artillery and the infantry and all this sort of stuff and you can see they're just they, they there is a competitiveness here they want to be good they don't want to be kind of sort of jolly amateurs with swagger sticks they they want to be really good soldiers and 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 they take this forward into normandy and by the end of the second world war they are the single unit with more battle honors than any other you know, so it's, a, it's an amazing transformation. But this is very, I mean, because after all, the army, the army receives a lot of stick for the interwar years that everyone just wants to drink, drink um, uh, uh, gin and tonic and play polo. Yeah. Or cricket. And, mm. uh, uh, and certainly you read, you can read enough stuff to confirm that um, uh, idea. 
uh, the, the notion that that's what's going on in the army. But obviously, what what's happened? What happens to the Sherwood Rangers is they realise if you don't want to get killed, you're going to have to take. The, it's as simple. It's as simple as that. And of course, if you're if you're you know doing garrison duty in Malta in 1923, you might as well play cricket and drink gin because you, the, yeah. it, you're not caught in a meat grinder against the Germans. You know no. who are taking it, who are taking it rather, rather um, uh, unsportingly seriously. You know yeah. it's um, it's the imperative of the situation, and of course the the you know part of the problem is, isn't it, is the, for the no one quite. There's a whole lot of people who don't quite take it seriously enough, and right, uh, and you know that includes pol- the, the politicians chiefly who aren't encouraging the army to take it seriously. But you know it's the it's the imperative of the moment. It's necessity being the mother of invention, isn't it? Literally, yeah. It is, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, and out of, do, you know, out of doing this, I, David and I together went round to interview some of the survivors, one of whom was this legendary uh, legend of, of the show range called John Semkin and various others we went to talk to. Do. And as out of that then came the book that I'm now doing, because suddenly I had this growing uh, um, kind of introduction to the show Rangers fraternity. Um, I had a lot of material and now I've got kind of eyewitness accounts of, you know, maybe... 30 members of the Sherwood Rangers in that last 11 months of the war and suddenly you've got you, obviously Stanley will be included in the book but there's a whole host of other characters who are equally colourful and interesting um, around which you can really focus and do a really very dramatic um, telling of one unit's war from D-Day to V-E Day uh, and you know and that trip to Germany was was that I did actually again with David was, was part of it, you know, and, um, you know, it's, it's really exciting. It's, it's, it's exciting to go from that kind of sort of big campaigns like Normandy and, you know, war in the West, you know, the series I'm doing to something which is much more kind of micro. It's, it's really nice to do that and get to the nitty gritty of it. Well, I ordered, while we were talking about this, um, I ordered the diaries on my, for my Kindle. So I'll, I'll have a look at those. You need I'm going to give well, you a uh, bloody paperback off. I've got hundreds of them. Uh, yeah, it's a sales a sale, James Holland. What's wrong with it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I just feel a bit bad. You can't sign the... my Kindle, though, can you? That's the uh, no, well, no, it's more that. It's not that. It's more about sort of, you know, banging on and on and on about it. And then, then you have to kind of read it as well. But it is really good. It is really good. Uh, well, I'll, 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 get, I'll give it a look once I've. I mean, I've so much to read. Dear, oh, dear God. I know. I know. Dear God. I know. Anyway, and, and, and this well, is the problem, isn't it? You know, and then, then actually, I was listening to my brother's new podcast um, that he's doing with Dominic Sandbrook about the, actually talking about that about comparisons of the 17th century. Jolly interesting it was too. But he then says, oh, you know, if there's one historical novel everyone should read, it's Instance of the Fingerpost or whatever it's called uh, by Ian Pears, which I've heard about and never read. And he was thinking, God, okay. It's another book, you know, got to add to the too list. Too many books. Too many, many books. books. Well, we hope you've enjoyed today. Um, uh, tons more uh, coming at you. We have a load of stuff for um, Thanksgiving for our American friends who hopefully will have sorted out exactly who won that election by five million votes. Um, uh, we'll, um, oh dear. Um, uh, uh, and plenty more stuff and some interesting uh, guests coming your way, um, some of whom might surprise you. Um, yeah. uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, We'll see you again soon. Cheerio. Cheerio, everyone. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. 
Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.